finally the last message out of First Timothy. So there is this point at which there's a point at which you're ready for the next one. And I've kind of been ready. I'm just I'm transparent. I've kind of been ready to move on, but I've been trying to give First Timothy appropriate due diligence, right? I don't want to I don't want to look. So, so this is the problem I had as a as a young man. My birthday is December twenty seventh. That's not that That's bad. That's my son's because, birthday. Because is it? Yeah. Oh, praise the Lord. What I didn't get for Christmas. <laughs> I was pretty sure I was getting for my birthday. So that's how it worked out. That's how I spin it positive in my brain, uh, at least. And so I sometimes have this tendency to look ahead. And um, so it is It is what it is. Uh, and I do that even with messages. And, and as you have responsibility to prepare ahead for things... That, you know, I've got to be thinking about that. I, I'm not thinking about next week's message just right when this message ends, right? I've got to be preparing that uh, kind of ahead of time. I've got to get my mind there. So I've been kind of out of First Timothy for a, for a minute, if you will. But I am excited about today's message. And I, I have shared with you that, and, and I am not going to back down, I have shared with you that you've got to be careful about when people bring a new doctrine or a new thing forward, a nugget, if you will, that they find in Scripture, because there's been a lot of really spiritual people, a lot of really smart people who studied Scriptures out before I was ever even born. So for me to say, well, I found something new, so you should listen to me, is a little presumptuous, a little cocky, if you will, probably in the flesh, because I want you to look at me, but but I'm not going to lie, I found something I found something I'd never seen before, and you all can kick the tires on it. You can tell me if I'm if I'm a heretic if you want. But right, false teachers. There you got it. Especially, uh, you know, wearing really good-looking shirts because I wore this shirt specifically for Brandon. Brandon likes this shirt. Um, he compliments me on it almost every time I wear it, except today. So, except for today. So I don't think it's a smooth thing. I don't think it's a, it's not certainly not a new doctrine. I think it reinforces a doctrine that already exists. But I am excited. I am excited. So uh, let's let's jump into uh, to our passage, First Timothy chapter six twenty through twenty one. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So the first thing we're going to, I mean, we're not going to look at all of this today. We don't, we probably won't have time to look at it. I, I prepared in, in a way to kind of do this in two sections. But we first, we're going to talk about the keeping and avoiding. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this in First Timothy, right? In First Timothy, we've been charged uh, several times, even in Second Timothy we've looked at and Titus we've looked at about things we need to watch out for. So the pastoral epistles, the epistles to the shepherd, which actually qualifies anyone who is growing in their spiritual walk, not just someone who's had hands laid on them and ordained on, on a stage, not someone who just has a license and a really nice frame that was bought at Hobby Lobby for 40% off. It isn't just like that. It's for anyone who has a shepherd relationship, which could include a discipler, right? 
those relationships are important and the lessons from the pastoral or shepherding epistles are are important and he says keep that which is committed to thy trust and avoid profane and vain babblings babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called so we're going to talk first about keeping right keeping there's some things that we were told to watch to hold to, to protect or guard. That's what that's what keep means. Sam actually mentioned it. I, I got to talk to him because he keeps stealing my thunder um, <clears throat> in some of his messages because he was told, if you remember, that Adam was told, Adam and Eve in particular, were told to keep the garden, which included guarding it. Okay? There's a component of keeping that is guarding, right? If I was to play a game and I was to take Shane's phone, sorry, Shane, we're going to play, and we were to play keep away, right, from Shane, there's a component where I'm now guarding it, guarding him from it, right? I'm going to pass it around. We're going to, we're going to try to toss it and keep it from him. And we're going to laugh at his, at his ill, uh, ill, you're right. He's, oh, I almost got it. Right. Right. So that's the keep away. When you play keep away you're guarding it from someone else when you keep that an old old castle back in yes. the medieval times the center was called the keep yes. because it was designed with layers circumferential layers of protection and ultimately when it got to that keep that's where everybody packed in if they had to that's the that's the area where you you watch you you hold you guard it the most intimate way but notice we can't we can't avoid this in John 14:15 if you love me keep my commandments. Now we, what we do is we we think of that and as an action of keeping being I'm going to follow them and there is clearly a component of that. But but Paul is telling Timothy to keep them. Don't let them be taken away from you. Don't let them be be uh, neutralized. And what is the biggest attack by Satan on the church is the word of God. Mm-hmm. If he can undermine the word of God, then everything else, he can he can Amen. do whatever he wants because now the rules are all messed up, right. right? So he can play, he can manipulate, he can mess up, he can do whatever he needs to do if he can undermine the authority of the word of God. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, hold on to them. Don't let them go. Keep them close. Protect them. Guard them. Now, this doesn't mean I'm going to stand with, I don't know, like, I don't know why I think a guard should stand with a spear and have, like, flowers on their helmet or something. But but I, I guess I just saw that some of the, 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 the Latin, no, the Vatican, not Latin, Vatican guards, I don't know if you saw that, some of them refused to get vaccinated and have been sent back to Switzerland. The Switzerland, Swiss guard, I think they call it. Very colorful uh, guard, right? So that's kind of what I, I don't know, I just saw that recently, so that's what I was thinking about. When I think about a guard, we're not going to stand at the door of this church with a with a big pole with a pointy end on it, maybe with the shield and stand at attention because we're guarding it. No, that's not how this guarding works. This guarding works that we're going to apply it and we're not going to let people attack it, right? Now, again, that comes in different forms. And sometimes it comes through a very subtle form. Notice... Jesus answered in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, 
and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. That there is this importance associated with guarding, protecting, or keeping the words. Paul is telling Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Believer, the scripture has been committed to your trust. One of the the underpinnings of our philosophy with respect to scripture, with respect to the preservation of scripture, is something that we call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer, that, that it isn't just tied to someone who was put in a, in a place and they, they have the, they're the only ones that have scripture. No, we actually subscribe to the concept that scripture handed through the generations is actually better than the oldest and that which was not necessarily uh, uh, accepted by the church. Okay, that is a fundamental tenet of the scriptural position of this body. And the reason, part of the reason we do that is because we believe the early New Testament saints kept the scripture. They didn't just hide the scripture. They kept it. They processed it. Okay? They, they copied. They made sure it was, it was available. They kept it. In John 15, 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. 1 John 5, 20, er, er, 5, 2 through 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. Now, again, the tone here is doing the things that he said. I get that. But it's the same word. It's the same word in English. And I believe at least in all of these cases, it's the same uh, Greek word. Keeping his commandments is not grievous, right? This is not a bad thing. This is actually the strength. This is the underpinning. It's the foundation of, of uh of what we have. And, and even in Revelation chapter 1, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and then keep those things which are written therein. You can't just hear it. You got to act on it. You can't just. So in a very real sense, he's talking about this letter. Hey, Timothy, I'm writing this letter to you. Keep it. Keep it. I'm committing it to thy trust. But he's also talking about the ministry training, his, his, his uh, missions experiences that he's had with Paul, the spiritual blessings that he's seen, right? The laying on the hands of the presbytery. Everything that he needs to minister has been committed to his trust. And I would argue, believer, everything you, would, you need to minister has in fact been committed or is being committed to your trust as well. You have, you're, you're fully equipped. You're fully equipped. Now, maybe you don't know how to use that thing, but you have access to that thing. Fill in the blank. Like, I was, I don't know if we need to continue with the soldier concept. Like, you may not know how to break down your rifle and put it back together in the dark or whatever, blindfolded, but the rifle is there for you. Let's train you in how to do those things. Not an actual, not an actual rifle for the recording. So, and not an actual rifle, but to break down the word, to understand how to discern it and put it back together, right? How to apply it to your life. To whom much is given, much is required. But notice the, the, the phrase and the quip is not tied to who, who keeps it, much is required. To whom it is given, much is required. You still have the requirement, even if you lose it. If you're like, where did I put my, where did I put my Bible? Where did I put the things that people have invested in me? If you forget those things, I don't mean to sound harsh, but that's on you. That's on you. 
You've got to be here. You've got to be, and I, and I don't necessarily mean here, although I do think you get equipped in this space, but you need to be here. You need to be serving. You need to take the next step. You need to get discipled. You need to get uh, consider LFBI. You need to consider what it is the next step for you. Maybe it's uh, cost of discipleship, so you can evaluate discipleship. Maybe it's um, new members class that you know we just had this last week. Uh, the new members that were that were recognized, and and so maybe you need to take a decision on baptism. I don't know what it is, but something has been committed to your trust, and you need to keep it. Again, again, the requirement is what's given to you, not what you still have. If you've lost it, that's on you. And I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about the equipping. So hang on to it. Hang on to it. The second thing, right, this keeping and avoiding is the, is the, the concept of avoiding, right? So now he says avoid, uh, uh, avoid or avoiding, um, right, uh, vain, uh, help me, <laughs> profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Now we're not going to like drill down into this because these things fall into one big category of lies, deceit, you're right. But notice what we do have on the screen here are some other things that we're supposed to avoid. These are things that Paul has documented in his other letters to the church and in some cases to Timothy and Titus as a fellow shepherd. Right? Things that we need to avoid. Now I beseech you in Romans sixteen seventeen. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, notice this, and avoid them. Avoid them. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be a jerk, and I really am going to need it to, tur to, to turn this on if somebody, I'm going to, you guys are going to see me sweat. Woo. Or glisten, maybe. Glisten. Right? No, no. <laughs> Horses sweat, men perspire, women glisten. That's how that works. Um, thank you. So, um, so, horses sweat, men perspire, women glisten. But mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and I would argue also keep, right, and avoid them. Now, the, there is some, some savvy, there is some, some tact that needs to go into this, right? If if um, if Paul, I'm sorry, you're not you're not going to sit in the front again, are you, Paul? If Paul <laughs> brings a doctrine, he he's starting to cause uh, divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we've learned. So Paul's Paul's a bad guy. I need to avoid Paul. Now, avoiding is very care very careful. Does that mean I can't shake Paul's hand or give Paul a hug? No, I absolutely can. What I have to be careful of, what I have to insulate myself from, is his talking to me about scriptural things, right? I need to, I need to be mindful of how he's trying to attack, if you will, the, do, um, the, the doctrine in this case, right? Or if he's trying to call it now, in, even I have a responsibility as a shepherd to say, Paul, like you got to stop causing division. Like I understand you're working through this doctrinal concept in your life. I know what you think you read in scripture, but I believe it's contrary to this, that, or the other also in scripture. We'll work through it together, but you got to stop causing division. 
So there is a difference between just like talk to the hand, avoiding, and avoiding the concept of insulating. You can still win the brother and sister in Christ over. Now, there could be a point in time where the only thing Paul's saying is bad stuff. Like every time Paul shows up, well, let me tell you about Pastor Sam and all that. Okay, at some point, we might have to avoid Paul. At some point, we might even actually have to ask Paul, Paul, look, you clearly don't want to be here. You're only here to take an attack on this body or its leadership. So maybe it's time that you move on. You know, maybe it's time that you figure out where it is that fits for you and you go, I love you. I don't want to leave you. It was just an illustration. Okay, so I'm going to move on because I'm starting to feel a little guilty. So, <laughs> so notice, so we're supposed to mark them which cause divisions, right? We're supposed to avoid them. But there is some nuance to the concept of avoiding. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now, this is a little bit different uh, aspect, right? Because I can't dabble. I can't be close. Like I can try to win the brother over, right? Who's causing divisions. I can't do that with respect to fornication. Like it's a, it's a hard stop. Like there's a line in the sand and we're not going to cross it, right? And, and, but, but I will guarantee you every situation that I've, um, I guess I'll say had exposure to were situations where I've counseled people in this situation or, you know, family situations, extended family situations where these kinds of things, fringe situations where these kinds of things were in play. They didn't, fornication didn't just happen. Like they weren't walking down the street and trip on a crack and end up in the sack with someone. Like that's not that, that's not how that happens, right? There were steps that were taken Right. There were decisions that were made and there's plenty of opportunities to avoid the fornication before it ever happens. Right. The Mr. Miyagi school of self-defense, best defense for punch is no be there. Right. Best defense for fornication. No be there. Yeah. No be there. Right. Notice this, but in second Timothy two, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. A, a guy that I that I kind of like. I, I would consider him a friend. He does not go to church here. I do believe he's a believer. Uh, you know, he's a guy I, I, I don't know if I'd say I look up to, but there's certain aspects of this guy's life that I respect. He posed a question on Facebook, and I, I think I know why he did it, but he posed a question about if someone claims to be saved but has no fruit of, of the Lord in their life, are they really saved? Well, it just led to a bunch of debate a bunch of bleh on Facebook because everybody's approaching it with the nuance that they would bring to a scenario like that. And finally, somebody's like, well, you got to give a little more detail. Like you've got to, like that's, it's impossible to make a judgment based on just your, well, I could say no, that they're not really saved because there's no evidence, but what do you really mean by no evidence? Is it just what you're seeing or, you know, so, well, I would argue Literally, when I read it and I started seeing all the comments, I'm like, well, that's a foolish question. That's a foolish question. Now, again, there's ways to use those kinds of things to, to provoke people to conversation, to provoke people to consider. But, but it, excuse me, at the end of the day, we've got to be careful to avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law. That isn't the point. That's not what we've been called to do, believer. I feel something. Hopefully it's not the heat. 
Um, we've been called to avoid these things. If you think asking a question, if you think, think you know, putting the poking the bear, as it were, is is getting or getting a rise out of someone. That's maybe a better way. Like sometimes that's just a foolish question. And Sam hit the nail directly on the head this morning when he talked about our counseling ministry. And Michelle and I have gone through that training, and and hopefully in the next you know couple months we'll be some of the counselors uh, you know assisting in that ministry. But the goal is not to tell people what they need to do. The goal is showing them what they need to do, and them making the decision that that's what they need to do. Because I can't want it for them. I can't want them to stop yelling at their spouse or I can't want them to stop uh, any kind of addiction, whether it's chemical or, or sight or anything. Like, I can't want it enough for them. They've got to want it. They've got to see the in, uh, inconsistencies, the incongruence between what, what they're doing in Scripture. And they have to make the decision through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they don't have the Holy Spirit, they, well, well, we'll deal with the salvation matter. But, but we've really, we really got to be careful because even in that counseling ministry, we're not going to provoke, provoke them with foolish questions. We're not going to approach this with some psycho babble of trying to get them, you know, to, to, to buy in. Or it's, it's, it's going to be very simple. You're doing this. Scripture says this. Those don't line up. Do you believe the word of God or not? If you don't then I'm not, I, I'm not sure how I can help you other than pray for you. So avoiding those foolish questions. So here's the part that we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're just simply just going to jump into here with respect to the second half. And I think we're doing okay on time. Second half of this. So if you'll remember, you've seen it on the top of your page, the last four words uh, with, without considering the amen, grace be with thee. So how could I skip over Paul, Paul's very impassioned, very loving, very, I would argue, very intimate, very connecting kind of phrase, grace be with thee. Well, what is grace? It's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor with God. It's God giving of himself when he doesn't need to. And the Old Testament grace is really interesting. The, the Old Testament view of grace is one of of that's just a gift. It's it's arguably temporal. Um, and, and notice that gra- Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? He found grace in, in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 45, uh, verse 2, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips, right? Proverbs 1, 9, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head. Proverbs 3, 34, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly. So, so, so Paul is saying, Grace be with thee, but it is within the context of a New Testament philosophy. It's not within the context of the Old Testament philosophy, which is very kind of like the Holy Spirit, kind of temporal. It would come on people. It would go away from people. Grace was not the same in the Old Testament as we see in the New Testament. It's just simply different. It's just simply different. So I've got a little bit of a question for you here. Does anybody know what all these verses have in common? Don't turn your page over. Uh, maybe already. Does anybody know what these what these verses have in common? 
And so the easy answer the easy answer is they all say the word grace, and that's true. <laughs> Anybody know what else these have in common? There's a bit of a pattern here. Look for the pattern, Bible student, Bible is scholar. Like, is it the last verse where Paul says grace be with you? It's the last verse or one of the last verses where Paul does that exact thing. Good job, Jimmy. You get a you get a you get a bagel. <laughs> no, actually, or a, or a banana. There we go. Look at this. Romans 6.24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6.23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Or be with you. Each one of these kind of last verses, and again, it's either the last verse or one of the last couple verses, Paul says this exact thing. Now, he's not just closing the letter with, sincerely or respectfully or like this is a command this is the last thing he once remembered this is the last thing he's communicating in the verse or in the in the letter it's it's what he one of the things he wants to be remembered but notice it's be with be with be with be with be with be with right it's literally consistent right i don't think there's any of them that don't say be with are there no, they all say be with. Okay? But we notice actually that happens at the beginning of the passages too, at the beginning of letters. Not always in the first verse. You can see uh, it looks like 1 Corinthians and Galatians or verse 3 and Romans. It's all the way down to verse 7. But he says grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's a very similar pattern, Right? So in two, it's unto Timothy, grace. So it's, it's very similar. It's a little different. But do you notice the difference? So this is the nugget. And you can say, Dobson, that's not a very good nugget. But, it doesn't say be with. Huh? It doesn't say be with. I still don't know. It doesn't say be with. It doesn't say be with. It says be to. Right. Okay? In every letter, Paul starts with grace being to you. In every letter, he says grace be with you. And that, you know what the difference in those words are? The letters. They actually are different. They're different in the Greek. They're different in the English. They're different. Paul specifically wrote these on purpose this way. And I would actually argue that there is a pattern here that at the beginning of each letter, Paul is talking about the way it was in the Old Testament. Grace be to you. And at the end of his letter, he's talking about the pattern of the New Testament, grace be with you, okay? Because those are very two very different concepts, very different concepts. So where does grace come from? Where does grace come from? Now, it arrived with Jesus' birth, okay? That's not to say it had never been on the earth before, okay? That's not to say it, we had never experienced it as a people before. We saw examples of it in the Old Testament, but it definitely arrived with Jesus. It came with, it was a companion. Notice in John, the beginning, go ahead and turn to John since we've got four, uh, four verses here, three verses, three verses here at the beginning of John. John chapter one. We actually see starting in John chapter one, in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, right? And there was a man sent from God whose name was John and he bore witness of the light, right? He was not that light. Jesus is the light. 
that was uh, in verse nine. That was the true light which cometh, uh, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Right. He was in the world, right? But as uh, he came unto his own, his own received him not. Clearly about Jesus, but as many as received him, to them uh, gave he power to become the sons of God, right? So we go all the way down to verse fourteen, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Jesus arrives, he is the light. He's all the other things that we talked about. He's part of the the creation. But he's also full of grace and full of truth. So when he arrives, he brings grace along with him. Notice in verse... um, 15, John bear witness of him and, and talking about, right, Jesus, and of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. There is a tone that is set with Jesus' birth, with Jesus', in this case, uh, his ministry, but when he arrives here, the, in the fullness we have received grace for grace. And then continuing in verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth had already been here. More truth was coming, which sounds kind of a, a weird concept, but more truth was coming in the person of Jesus. But grace was coming. Grace was coming in the person, in the, the actual person of Jesus Christ. So, it defines, it defines us in a way that is very different. So, if you're familiar with dispensational theology, and we're going to just take just a second, I don't have slides on this, but God deals with people differently in different dispensations or ages. He dealt differently with Adam than he does with Mitch. He dealt differently with Noah than he does with Shane, Right? He dealt differently with Abraham than he does with with us, right? He dealt differently with the kings than he does with us. Now, there is consistency, but there's also a difference. The way God deals with people, the expectations um, that that they were under are different than the expectations we're under, okay? I am not going to go home later today and sacrifice a cow. First of all, I don't even own a cow. Second of all, it would probably be illegal to steal somebody else's cow and sacrifice it. Third of all, I'm pretty sure I'd end up on the news. <laughs> right? That like it's different call it today. Barbecue. <laughs> oh. That is that that is a, that is where barbecue started. I mean, in the Old Testament, the, you know, the priests actually did get to get to to partake of the and and notice God always allowed the fat to be burned because that's where the flavor comes from. Um, <laughs> so, what was I talking about? <laughs> Food, right. Dispensations. So God deals with people differently in different dispensations. So when grace comes to the earth in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, He is offering grace to the nation of Israel. They reject him. And what dispensation are we living in? And the answer is one of two. One of two. You can say the the church, the dispensation of the church, or the dispensation of grace. Right? The dispensation of grace. So it actually defines the church age and our ministry. 
today. It defines us. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. If ye have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which is given to me, to you word. Grace was, grace was provided in the person of Jesus, given to Paul, so that he could pass it on to us. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Believer, you're in the exact same boat. Grace was given to you so that you could be a minister. It's, it's not just a tagline at the end of the book. It's not just a, a hope to see you soon, XOXO, hugs and kisses. Like That's not what Paul is doing here. He is reminding the entity that receives the, the letter, in this case Timothy, that grace has changed everything. It's changed everything. Notice, continuing Ephesians chapter 4. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We have been given grace. Do, have we been given grace just so that we can, can roll? Like, like, look, at some point in time... I was going to, I got to do it, I guess, before Biden puts this $600 thing. At some point, I'm going to go get $1,000, ask for it in ones, lay it on the floor and roll around in it because I've always wanted to know what it felt like to roll around in money. And then I'll take a shower because it's dirty. But, <laughs> but if he puts this $600 deal in, I probably won't do that because I'll be like, what do you do with that money? Um, <laughs> grace was not given to you just so you could get it in small denominations, lay it on the floor and roll around in it. Grace was not, that's not why grace, that's, that's maybe one tiny aspect, but it is not the completion of why grace was given to you. Grace was given to you, A, for your salvation, but B, for your ministry. Believer, as we go through this, this, well, I have, I have titled this series, uh, you know, it's a guide to spiritual maturity. I don't know what just happened. I came back. A guide to spiritual maturity, right? There's a pathway for you to go from being less mature to more mature. And I would argue sharing grace, living in grace, but letting grace flow through you and out from you, not just in and staying within the four walls of your heart, but actually pouring out is what he wants. Look at, the, look at how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. By whom we... So he's writing Romans to Roman believers, to Christians. This is not just, hey, Timothy or Titus. We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Like literally, we have received grace and apostleship. Now, we're not saying that we're all apostles, but we have received apostleship. We are, de are destined to share his greatness among the nations. We do that through grace. Sure, it's also how we live. It's how we were saved, for by grace are you saved, right? Could have gone down that path in my study. But I was just enamored with the fact that it defines the church age and our ministry. Those, actually, those two things are overlap fully. Our ministry today looks different than the, the Old Testament, than the different dispensations because of the nature of, the, of dispensational theology, the way God deals with us. But it, the, the blessing here of all this to me was this. The last words of scripture 
literally are the same words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And you might argue, well, that's, that's literally just a, a nice um, uh, salutation. It's just a nice salutation. Well, uh, then, then I'm not sure you believe that every word of God is pure. And that you believe that Scripture was written and that all of Scripture is beneficial. Right? That it's all profitable. Because these words were written down, and in some cases, a lot of times. I would argue that it's something that we just glance over because, just like I said at the beginning of this, we kind of, you know, we're coming to the last verses of the book. It's easy. I'm almost done reading for today. I'm getting through the book of uh, Timothy, so I'm coming down to the end of the the chapter, and I can see the end coming. I know enough of the tone. I can feel the end of the book coming. I know that Paul's letter's just about done. Oh, and grace and grace be unto you, and amen. And I'm done. And we end on a down note. There's something that I... I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but some people, when they speak, they trail off. We, ha- we had to deal with this with, our, with, our, with one of our sons, maybe both of them. I don't remember for sure at this point. It's, uh, but when they were speaking, they would, they would just trail off. And it was like, don't, don't finish your sentence. Finish your sentence. Like, you don't need to, like, shout it, but finish your thought, period. Right? Like, put, it, put a period at the end of your sentence, then you can stop talking. Right? This is, this is literally what God is doing through Paul in each of his books, but the entire Bible. Literally, the end of Scripture is written so that you will remember that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so I put up here, just the portions that we looked at, which I think is what's on your notes. Mm-hmm. Grace to, grace to, grace mm-hmm. unto, grace be with. It's different. It's different. And my prayer with, for you is that grace would be with you, right? That's a permeation. That's inside. That's flowing out. That's, that's a... I don't know why, why SpongeBob SquarePants just jumped in my head. Like it comes in and it has to go back out because you're made of holes. I don't know. Like you're Swiss cheese. If it comes in, it needs to flow out. Don't just don't just get bigger and bigger with grace. Let it let it come out. This week, I, again, I don't I don't know why. A couple of things from Facebook. Michelle's like you're spending too much time on Facebook. Saw this on Facebook. Jonathan Edwards, a a, a Calvinist, but. But a, a, a big um, impact in the United States with, with the, the gospel and, the, and, and revivals in the United States. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Like literally, that's the only part that you played in this was that you screwed it up so bad that it has to be there. <laughs> And often you're happy about that. I'm like, oh, me too. <laughs> me too. Because, because the, the requirement, therefore, is that I don't need to overly complicate this. Right. The only, now, now, again, the reason I called him out as a Calvinist is because there's a Calvinistic tone here, right? That even faith and, and that sort of thing, and we can have that debate. But within the context of grace... You did nothing to save yourself. Amen. It was grace. Amen. It was grace. 
So it brings us to our last discipleship decision, and we'll have different points as, as we move on in, in our uh, questions of Jesus study. Uh, we'll start that next week. So our last discipleship decision, will you choose to rely on your own efforts or grace in and through you? I mean, you have to contribute. Paul said that grace came to us. It, it, be, it makes us ministers. It should compel us to keep and avoid. Like literally that should be the driver and the motivator of the keeping and avoiding that we talked about at the first half of this message. The keeping and the avoiding is only driven because you have grace in you. So please, please, as grace flows through you, when you have to keep and you're like, we're staunch on this and I'm going to squash anybody who doesn't read the King James. And I have talked to people like that. I have ministered with people like that. That they're, that's King James only folks get really, I mean, literally that's why they call it King James only because they're mad about it. They're mm-hmm. like, well, if you don't, if you don't read King James, you're, you're stupid. Well, th- and that's graceful. No. <laughs> right? No, that's not how it works. <clears throat> that's not how any of this works. Your grace, if you're going to keep something, it needs to be with grace. If you're going to avoid something, well, we just don't do that. Well, okay, but are you now relegating that person to hell because you're not willing to reach into their life and try to see if the Lord can save them from from whatever the thing is that is? Like throw them a a life preserver, for goodness sake. Yes. So you have a choice. You can rely on your own efforts or you can rely on grace in and through you. So that brings us to the end of our study of 1 Timothy. I, it has been a, uh, a journey that honestly took me places and took us places that I didn't know it was going to take, which is, amen, praise the Lord for that. I think, uh, I think Paul has done an amazing job in challenging and equipping Timothy for the ministry. And I pray that the messages that we've, that we've had over this last nine, ten months give or take, depending upon how you count the numbers and those sorts of things, that they've been beneficial to you, that they have encouraged you and challenged you to grow in your maturity. I've said it many times before, and I'll say it many times again. Every one of us has a next step to take in our spiritual journey. None of us have arrived because the minute we have arrived, we're out, right? We're gone. When we're done doing what God has accomplished in us and through us on this earth, we'll be dead. I won't be here when God is done with me, right? So until then, since you showed up this week, since your heart was still beating, he still has work. You still have steps to take in your spiritual journey. Please, please take them. Let's pray.